Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. Supernatural Church. How many of you have been blessed with this series on Supernatural Church? Amen? Amen. I was, uh, oh no, we haven't finished with the first slide yet. <laughs> I was struck by just looking at this little graphic. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that, but uh, the thing in the middle is a depiction of a house. And I like that. Because everything that we're doing and that God is doing flows out of a supernatural house. And so this morning, I want us to look and talk about the supernatural house. So we can go on to the next slide now. When I was a lot younger, (laughs) there was a TV game show that I occasionally used to watch. It was presented originally by David Frost. So you can kind of think how far back we're going. And then Lloyd Grossman. And it was called Through the Keyhole. Does anybody remember that? Apart from me and Stephen. (laughs) I think they brought it back, but uh, I haven't seen it since they brought it back. But um, one of the catchphrases of that show, uh, and I apologise because I don't do a very good David Frost impersonation, but one of the catchphrases was, who lives in a house like this? And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want us to ask the question, what kind of people, who is it that lives in this supernatural house? And if you allow me to take a bit of licence, that that circle is a keyhole. We're going to look through the keyhole this morning at the supernatural house. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I love going into other people's houses. (laughs) Um, One of the things we like to do often is to to go out, if we've got a free day, to a National Trust house and look around a home or a garden. And it's great, isn't it, when you you go into someone's house and every aspect and every room tells you something about the people that live in the house, doesn't it? Uh, If you go into a house that's a home, there's always those little knickknacks, the photos, the things that people have brought back from holiday, the little knickknacks, and it tells you something about the people that live in the house. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a few glimpses, a few little looks through the keyhole of this supernatural house to get an understanding of what kind of people live in this house. And then at the end we might just say, well, who is it? Who are these people that live in the house? And I want to take you 
to some scriptures this morning and I want to draw on some different strands, uh, many of which we've already touched on in this series. But uh, I want you to know that just as a rope is made of many strands and the integrity and the strength of that rope doesn't depend upon a single strand. It depends, doesn't it, upon the fact that they're all interwoven together. And that produces the strength of a rope. And God wants to weave together things in our lives and our hearts to put strength and maturity and body into us as a supernatural people. So the first thing I want to talk about, the first little snapshot and glimpse is on the next slide. People of presence. And uh, David touched on this, didn't he, when he introduced the series. Uh, and I want us to just look at, uh, in, in Hebrews, so if you just want to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews, uh, we looked at it a few, uh, few months ago, didn't, uh, f- sorry, a few weeks ago, and we, we looked in Hebrews 11 at the... Um, great examples of faith and um, you know we could spend a lot of time in here but we're not going to do that I just want to show you uh, a couple of verses so if we just look at verse 5 it says this it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It's a fascinating little story, isn't it? This man, Enoch. And uh, there's a little bit more detail. We're not told very much about him, but if you look in Genesis, we're going to be going from Genesis to Revelation this morning. So I'm hoping that as you flick your pages pages of your Bible, it'll just create a little bit of a draft for you (laughs) and help to keep you a bit cool. Genesis 5. 21 it says this when Enoch was 65 years old he became the father of Methuselah and after the birth of Methuselah Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years and he had other sons and daughters Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God Then one day, he disappeared because God took him. And it was just as though they were walking along the road one day together, Enoch and God. And God said to him, come on, Enoch, it's closer to my place than yours. Why don't you just come home? But what a fantastic testimony. Enoch, he walked in such close fellowship with God 
that he just translate, was translated from earth into heaven. And the common denominator, when we read in Hebrews 11, of all these great examples of faith, was that they were men who loved the presence of God. And um, we know Moses, too, was a man who passionately loved God's presence. So if you want to just, if you're still in Genesis, just turn over it into Exodus now. Make it easy for you. One book, chapter 33. And uh, we'll just read a little bit about Moses. So chapter 33, and I'm just going to start a few verses earlier than I've got on the slide there. It says this, verse 8, Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Moses loved God's presence. He loved God's presence because when he went into that tent of meeting, God met with him in intimacy. It says he met with him as a friend meets a friend. And God is wanting us as supernatural people to live in his presence. He's wanting us to press in to that intimacy of fellowship that Moses had, that we spend time in his presence. And it goes on in the, in the chapter and it says, One day Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. And... It goes on in verse 14. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. Now, if you'd looked back and you were uh, with the whole story so far, God had actually said to, to Moses that he wasn't going to go with them, that he was going to send an angel to lead them. But Moses so loved the Lord's presence. He said, you know, Lord, you know, it's not enough. To have an angel. I need your presence. We need your presence more than anything else. And the Lord responded to him and said, verse 17, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. And verse 16. Moses had said, how will anyone know that you look favourably on me if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people 
on the earth. That's a key verse, isn't it? Your presence, God's presence, is the thing that sets us apart as a people. If we come together and we don't have God's presence, then there's no point, is there? But when we come together, God comes among us. And his presence comes and fills the house. This supernatural house is a house full of his presence. And David also was a man who loved God's presence. And, you know, we read many of the Psalms when, and, and, and God is, and David is just so consumed with wanting to know God in a better way. And Psalm 42, it's not actually accredited to David, this psalm, but I believe it expresses David's heart. It says this, Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before him? It's a hot day, it's a warm day. We get thirsty. We need to be rehydrated, don't we, in this weather? But it's the same with him. We need to receive continually the refreshing of being in God's presence. As we come into his presence, through the gates of praise, into his wonderful presence, he meets with us face to face in that place of intimacy. So I believe that one of the key attributes that will mark us out as a supernatural people is a people that continually yearn and seek God's presence. And that like Enoch, we don't belong to this world. We walk with God in close fellowship with him because we have a heavenly homeland. If we can go on to the next slide. Strand number two. People of praise. People of praise. When you spend time in God's presence, you cannot help but worship him. Isn't that true? When you spend time in God's presence, when you see him, then there's an automatic response in our hearts that says we want to worship him. And, you know, when we look in Revelation, um, chapter 4 in particular, it talks there about uh, an open door into heaven. And uh, it's, it's, again, it's like looking through the keyhole into heaven. And as we start to read there about this wonderful picture of worship, and what worship looks like in the heavenly realm. We're introduced to all different kinds of pictures and elements. But looking in chapter 5, at verse 11, it says, I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and of the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth 
and they sang blessing on honour and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. Hallelujah. What a wonderful picture this is. People from every tribe. People from every tongue. People from every nation. People from Market Harbour. People from Desborough. People from Northampton. People from every village around here. Every town and community in Great Britain. But not just this nation. Every nation under heaven. That's what is going to happen. This is a prophetic picture of God's purpose. And you know, A.W. Tozer said that worship is the missing jewel of the evangelical church. And I believe he said that because fundamentally we're created by God to be worshippers. Um, you know, Jesus said that, didn't he? Uh, when he met the woman at the well and she started talking about where, where they should be worshipping. Jesus met with her and you'll find it um, in that reference there in John 4. And he says, he says to her, God is looking for worshippers that will worship him in spirit and, and in truth. He says, the time's come now. The time's come now. This is what God's about. God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I believe that he still is. He's still wanting a people that will worship him and praise him. Those Psalms as well there, 134, we know them so well. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. God wants us to learn to be a people of praise. Not just on a Sunday morning, but when we get up on a Monday morning and we've got to go to work, what is it that's going to come out of our mouth? God wants us to be a people of praise and a people that worship him. People that live in a supernatural house don't live like people in the world. They are Jesus worshippers, first and foremost, because they know that he is the source. Stephen shared on that last week, didn't he, about knowing where the source is. He's the source of everything that we need. So we don't worship idols. We don't worship money. We don't worship possessions. We don't worship position, but we worship him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's what Jesus said. Hallelujah. Strand number three. Go on to the next slide. People of purity. Purity. 
you turn with me into um, the prophet Isaiah, many of you will know that Isaiah is one of my favourite books. Isaiah, he, in chapter 6 here, it says, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. It was a day of tragedy. It was in a day of loss. But even in that time, he had a revelation of who Jesus was. It doesn't matter what we're going through or what we're facing in this world. Jesus wants to show himself to us. He wants to reveal himself to us. And he had a vision of the Lord sitting on a throne. Jesus is in control. No matter what circumstance, no matter what's happening on the outside, Jesus reigns above it all. And in this vision, he sees these mighty seraphim and he hears them calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. And as he's taking in this scene and he's, he's seeing this wonderful vision and he's hearing this wonderful sound and this worship, he just becomes overwhelmed with his own sin and his own condition. And he says, woe is me, for I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I've seen the king. I'm doomed. And that's the condition we would all be in, isn't it? We would all be doomed. But Jesus has come. And he's cleansed us. He's saved us. He's made us clean. Chris reminded us about how truly toxic sin is. But in 1 John 1.8, you see the reference there. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God wants to clean us up thoroughly and completely from the inside out. And when you read in that chapter, make a note of the reference, 1 John, if you read chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I'm writing this so that you may not sin. I'm writing this so that you may not sin. That's what God wants. He wants a people of purity, a people of holiness. Paul writes the Corinthians, and he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. A new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. 
How many belong to Christ this morning? You can declare this morning, I am a new creation. The old life is gone. I have been made new. He has washed me clean and he's given me pure robes. In Revelation 7, we, as this picture continues to unfold of what heaven, uh, what life in heaven is like, it says this in verse 13, Revelation 7, 13. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you're the one who knows. <laughs> I love these little dialogues that you get in scripture. Great, isn't it? Sir, you're the one knows, who knows. And he says, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, and made them white. And that is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. Hallelujah. I'm fascinated that the elder asked the question. <laughs> but it's good to ask questions, isn't it? When there are things that we don't understand, it's good to ask questions and to ask people that have got the answer. Yes. Because that way we receive wisdom and revelation. So these were the ones that had made themselves white because they'd been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I want to say this morning, unashamedly, that, that purity matters. Holiness matters. God wants us to live holy lives. He wants us to live in purity. Hallelujah. Those who live in a supernatural house have been washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus. They are now made righteous and walk in the purity and beauty of holiness. If I can go on to the next slide. People of power and proclamation. I'm reminded of the old chorus. Possibly Phil and Sharon will remember this. <laughs> For I'm building a people of power and I'm making a people of praise that will move through this land by my spirit and will glorify my precious name. Build your church, Lord. Make us strong, Lord. Join our hearts, Lord, through your Son. Make us one, Lord, in your body, in the kingdom of your son. We need to sing more of these golden oldies because <laughs> there's great truth in them. But Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power. You will receive power. You will receive dunamis. You will receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Power doesn't come without proclamation. 
We've received power in order that we can proclaim. You know, uh, if you want to have a flow, you have to have an inlet and an outlet. It doesn't work if you've just got an inlet and no outlet. You don't get a flow. And God wants his people to be people of power and proclamation. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe, Mark says. They will cast out demons in my name and they will speak in new languages. Receiving the Holy Spirit and what comes out of our mouth are inextricably linked and related. That's why tongues is so important. At Pentecost, the believers receive power to proclaim the gospel not only in a new language, but they received a new anointing. They received power in order to proclaim. Let's go on to the next one. Conscious that time is going. People of prophetic prayer. People of prophetic prayer. James 5. If you can find that for me. Verse 16. Hebrews, James. Says this. Verse 16. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Say wonderful. 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 The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. We've had about three and a half weeks, haven't we, <laughs> of this hot weather, and already we're wilting. But they had three and a half years because Elijah prayed. You remember he went in 1 Kings 17, he says to Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. This was no ordinary praying, was it? <laughs> it was a prophetic prayer because God had revealed something to him. God had revealed what would happen. But he didn't just sit there and say, I wait for it to be done. The revelation gave him a burden. And the burden caused him to pray. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And then again, in chapter 18, he speaks again and says, God says to him, present yourself to Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. And again, he doesn't just say, well, thank you, Lord. I'll wait for the rain. No. He goes up the mountain. And he seeks, and he bows low, it says 1 Kings 18, 42. He bows low to the ground and prays with his face between his knees. And we know the story well, don't we? That 
he sends his servant out seven times. And on the seventh time, he sees a cloud as small as a man's hand. And Elijah says, that's enough. It's coming. It's coming. And I want to say to you, never dismiss or despise what God is doing, even though it may seem small and insignificant. Don't despise the day of small things. Because what starts as something small grows. Just like that cloud grew and grew and grew. And then suddenly the whole sky was obliterated with storm clouds. And the mighty rains came and fell. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what prophetic prayer is. It's understanding what God is doing by his spirit and then praying earnestly to bring it from heaven to earth. Elijah birthed something out of the burden that God had impregnated him with. And I believe that as we spend time in God's presence, that God will give us burdens and he'll impregnate us with his plans and his purposes. And he's calling us to be a people of prophetic prayer that bring heaven down to earth. What kind of people live in a supernatural house? People of presence, like Moses and Enoch. People of praise and worship, like David and the other psalm writers. People of purity, like the prophet Isaiah and the apostle John. People of power and proclamation, like Peter, Paul, Barnabas and Timothy. People of prophetic prayer, like Elijah and then Elisha. But I'm struck with what James says about Elijah in that reference there, James 5, 17. That Elijah was a man like us. New Living says he was as human as we are. Elijah was a man like us. What kind of people live in a supernatural house? We go on to our last slide. People like you. People like me. That's who live in a supernatural house. People whose lives have been changed forever because of an encounter with the Lord Jesus. People who have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. People who have been washed and made clean. People who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. People who have received gifts and callings and ministries and burdens and revelations. These are the kind of people who live in a supernatural house. That live under an open heaven that we've heard about already this morning. These are the kind of people who bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. People like you and people like me. Amen. Let's, let's just pray. And I just want to ask you this morning that if the Holy Spirit has just quickened something particularly 
that, that you just stand to your feet in a, in, as a response to the Spirit this morning. Father, we want to be people of your presence. Father, we want to be people of praise. Father, we want to be people of purity. We want to be people of power and proclamation. Lord, we want to be people of prophetic prayer. Lord, there are many other things as well that we could have talked about. Many other aspects. But we say thank you this morning, Father, that you're here with us. And you want to minister to us. Lord, we just present ourselves to you afresh this morning. And Lord, we say we're here and we're willing to be used by you that the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.